0: Way and I do mean underway. Wonder um, why fund managers can't beat the p 500? Because they're sheep and sheep get slaughtered. We have concluded the following. Because
1: I know more than that. Cold winter has apparently not affected the orange. We know <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 20.5 of Pounding the Table. That is right. We have a unique episode for you guys this week. We're going to call this one Turning the Table. So hope you guys all enjoyed your holidays, had a great New Year's because 2020 is finally over and this train is not stopping as we plow into 2021. And obviously 2020 was a year for the history books, Tony. We've gone literally full circle starting the year with one of the worst markets in history and now ended up with one of the best markets in my experience ever as a trader.
0: Yeah, Avi, it's been a complete up and down turnaround kind of year and I love the way it ended, but I'm definitely ready to turn the page here. You know, one door closes and many open. So I think that's why we've been kind of heads down, really building out some exciting plans for pounding the table in 2021, because we're not stopping, as you just said. And in this episode, we're going to have to talk about some big news that's going to happen this week right away as soon as we start the trading year, which is going to definitely impact the markets up or down. It just completely depends on people's reactions and and what the policies will end up being. And we're going to to review that tweet that we posted last week. We posted all the names that we were still pounding on for the year that we've been pounding On all year. Some of those have ran a ton, so we'll have to talk about certain risks and certain upsides we see for ones that haven't ran a ton. And we'll have to give some insights around what to expect here in the general markets for 2021. And if you're listening for the first time and are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony Ohai, and yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets are going to be impacted. Quick disclaimer here everyone knows the rules. We have to say it. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pound in the Table, as well as on our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. So, with that being said, Avi, I know we have a lot to talk about here. Let's get it started. <laughs>
1: here we go. <gasps> That is the sound of us rewinding here to your first year operating and managing your fund. Out the gates, man, things looked a little bit bleak, right? No one anticipates starting a hedge fund and then boom, coronavirus. You know, so you started the year down 25%. But let's fast forward a little bit. You know, it's the end of the year. Everyone and their mother is posting their gains on Twitter we had to join in the fun, so I know you posted your gains as well. And so we do want to say the following numbers, though, here as, as a huge caveat, because as we'll get into later in the show, this was by no means a normal year, right? Like there's 0% chance that we'll ever get remotely close to those percentages. Yet.
0: I'll For- give it I'll give it a 1% obvious boss. Okay, okay. Anything's possible.
1: All right. So that being said... Tony, you finished the year at 514% up, so that's phenomenal. Only one person in the world could possibly beat that, yours truly, 727%. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, that being said, I'd make a joke because the percentages are higher, but I'm obviously not rolling around in Lambos. I started the year with 12k. I did add $5,000 later in the year, but You know, still 727%. Those gains are surreal to say the least, but I do got to applaud your 514% just a little bit harder because I know you may have one uh, or two extra commas in your account. So your 500% gains are are massive, but you know, I'm in sales and as any seller knows, you're literally only as good as your last sales. What have you done for me lately? So let's put 2020 in the rear view, but would love to have your take just, you know, overall,
0: first year, you know, running a fund, pretty exciting. Would love to hear your mindset? I really think that I knew nothing a year ago. It's unbelievable because I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, the last four or five years have been working, 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 trying to get into a position where I could be managing money very consistently and very successfully. And, you know, there's always been those ups and downs for me. But I think, you know, I've said this before on the pod that the opportunity that happened in March was uh, like a once in a lifetime kind of market opportunity. It's a generational wealth creation. It, it, it removed all like questions I really had about the market. I mean, you could really see like at, at a very, very very high level what is running the market so you see that of course it's stimulus from the like the federal reserve and from congress and then you notice that certain stocks held up way way better and come back way way faster right so i learned relative strength of, of stocks and indices and it's just, I've never seen anything like it. And when I was down 25% at the bottom in March, I never ever thought, hey, I'll be up 500% this year. I was thinking, man, damn, I need to get back to positive. That's all I was thinking, right? And then you see this like kind of this avalanche, this this snowball start cascading down the mountain and, and it's just... It's got these little bumps in it, but it's it's still chugging right along all the way to the end. So I think it was one of those opportunities where I said it was getting so, so bad that I had to lever up. And I had to right at the bottom, like I think within two to three days, like before and after that actual bottom March 23rd area. I was thinking this is going to be the opportunity where you either change your life or you get wrecked. And I was, you know, luckily, none of us got wrecked from that point on. But I think that that opportunity is going to be a lot less in the future, of course. Right. We're already at thirty seven fifty. It's going to be a lot harder to go from thirty seven fifty to like, you know, eight thousand SPX than it was to go from two to almost four. Right. So. I'm glad that we took advantage of this year and I just hope that there's going to be the potential to have something like this in the future. But if it's if not, you know, like it's, it was a great time. Yeah, I and mean, one of my
1: favorite sayings you always say is the world only ends once, right? <laughs> I don't know if it was the exact same day, but you were damn close to to calling the bottom, right? And so do you think that age had anything to do with it? I know we'd, we'd love to bring up your age, <laughs> but right. I do think, you know, that risk tolerance probably has some role. Let's say you're 65, 70 years old, you're retiring and you want to be safer. Do you think any you know any impact of of your risk tolerance allowed you to
0: call that bottom? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. I mean, if I was like 60, 70 years old and I had my entire retirement account fully invested long like the majority of people do and I saw that there was a, you know, 30, 40 40 something percent haircut on all the indices and of course the stocks that I have in my portfolio went down similarly or, you know, even as much if not more, I would have definitely been anxious to add more money, you know, if I was just thinking, "Hey, like the, I already have most of my money in there. What am I going to do with adding cash?" But I think mean, for me I was like lucky because I think had I started the year not having five years of pretty much solely options experience, I would have been screwed without a question. Like The reason I only went down 25% when the markets went down 40% is because I got really good at options over the last five years and I was able to hedge myself and protect myself. And then profits from those puts and from those shorts ended up going into so many longs and leaps and leverage strategies that you know, by the end of the year, all those things had gone up 1000%. And it's like, I've never seen that happen ever, right? Like my biggest trade of the year, which we can just talk about now, and I was like coming up, but my biggest trade were those IWM calls that we mentioned on the first episode of the podcast. And we mentioned those for like five or six episodes. Those mm-hmm. 195s went from $2 to 24 at the highs, right? And I had over 500 contracts. So that was my biggest absolute trade of the year. And the craziest thing is that's directly related to small caps. Like that's those COVID beaten down names. That index went down like almost 50% on the year during COVID. So that was the one that I was saying had to come up, right? You had the text come up really fast. You had the SPX follow text, but a little less. And then you have the rut lagging for months. And every election since like before 2000, the rut explodes on the election. So that was like my my trade of the year. But those opportunities aren't there anymore. You can't get those $2 calls that far out on a retracement that you can get. It's just not the opportunities aren't there as much. So you need a reset to get those crazy gains, which I think, you know, it it just comes with the territory. You're up so much, the market's up so much, it'll, it'll come down and you'll get an opportunity. But once again, I'm still long-term 5,000 SPX bullish before they even start raising rates or anything. Worst trade. You talked about the best. What was the worst trade of the year? Worst trade of the year was my consistent hedging on SPX puts, right? So like there was a few times that that helped me ginormously, but I swear I wasted like a percent of my gains every month, just like, or more than a percent just hedging my SPX, right? Because I would put like, half a percent or 1% or a little bit more depending on the the climate of the environment into those weekly hedges against all my positions. And like I was hedging individual names when I have huge positions, but just general shares and stuff that are uncovered, unhedged, those I I was hedging through SPX put as a proxy. And so that ate up 10% of my gains by the end of the year. So that was my biggest loss over everything. It was 10% of my total gains for the year. But that was like the only real big loss I had. Other than that, I lost like I had a 3% loss on something. That's it. Like, not like net, but like of the entire account, like what Mm -hmm. it impacted the account. It was 3%. So that 10% hedge to get me up to 500 something percent. If you think about it from like where I started, that's actually like 100% 100% of the account value, almost like it's like 50%. Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, I think it was worth it, though. <laughs> well, it's so, definitely worth it.
1: And I always say, you know, you either win in life, or you learn, there's no losing, right? So like, what, what did you really learn from your biggest loss of the year?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was intended to be my biggest loss, right? It's a hedge, a consistent weekly hedge. And it made me feel confident to where I didn't have to worry about the individual positions as, as much like if the market were to dive three or 400, like it did that multiple times this year. And That allowed me to keep my account up in that same, like, you know, within a five or 10% range of where I was. And it let me go higher from there. It pays for itself in different ways than just the dollar value. But what I did learn is that if I have a huge position in something right? like sometimes I'll take like those IWMs, the reason I'm up 500% is because that was a 15% position that went 10X and I was trimming the whole way along. Mm-hmm. So that is like a third of my gains for the year, but I was super heavily convicted in it. You don't have to make a billion trades. If you make five great ones, You're you're killing it. But I think that, you know, going back to the SPX puts for me, I need to start looking at my positions individually because there's a lot of things that I could hedge individually mm-hmm. and pay less on the SPX puts a week and uh, not be worried about those big positions because now, you know, I, I take more convicted positions. So I'll have like five, 10, 15 max. And, and, you know, usually only using like 20% cash on the reserves, the rest of it's invested. So those are the ones I need to hedge, not the general market anymore. Cause I was doing that when I had 30, 40 positions.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and obviously you just mentioned this yourself, but you've grown, I've grown. I think everyone really has learned quite a bit this year in the <laughs> markets, but you know, let's talk a little bit about next year. What's up for Tony? What's up for peak life capital? What's up yeah. for PTT?
0: I mean, I think PTT is just going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, like Avi, I've seen you transform from somebody who bought stocks because it had a cool name to buying stocks because you know that company as well as I do. And that's like incredibly. So I got to give you kudos to that because I'm telling you guys, like, trust me, Avi knew nothing six months ago. Like he <laughs> were like he'll, you, he'll be the first to tell you. And like, it's like a backhanded me- compliment here, but I, like, I'll tell you. Right, but it. Yeah. but now, yeah, but now you're giving me stock ideas like that's how that that, that went that much acceleration and you actually come on (laughs) right i was just gonna say you had the single biggest pounding the table pick of the year right so you got you got a big future ahead of you avi but you know i I think that moving forward in the year we want to talk about these like this law of large numbers right like everyone talks about it on twitter saying you know the gains aren't going to be as big next year the gains aren't going to be as big the year after like maybe not and that's probably the truth right i don't think the s&p is going to Produce those kinds of returns like every every year chugging along. I mean, it just depends on how much like stimulus and how much money is pumped into the markets at this point, and they have how long rates stay low, and how long the capital gains don't go up. And that's just all that you have to look at. If you're looking at like, anything else, I don't know why you're looking at anything. But wow, <laughs> I mean that too. I mean, like those are really the biggest things that are impacting the market. So those are the if those change, then you know to change yourself. But I think that you we know, we were talking with Joey Salicero about this. Shout out to him, you know, gr- incredible investor. But you know, a 10% move for me in 2021 is like a 50, 60% move for me from the capital I started with a year ago. So you don't have to make the crazy thousand, thousand percent, so, you know, hundreds in here, hundred there. If you do like a great year like we had this year and just let that compound, I mean, compounding is awesome. That's why Warren Buffett's so rich. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of those situations where you don't need to kill it as much in 2021 if you kill it in 2020. Of course, right, Chalmuth doesn't care. He did it with $370 He took it to $2 So it's possible, right? Like you can do that. But it's all about is the market going to give you those opportunities that it gave you this year? If you pounce on the March bottom, that was the best rally, this fastest, craziest thing I've ever seen. And I don't know if that's going to happen again for many years if it does, right? That was a very, very black swan event. So now we just have to worry about, you know, what are we going to be comfortable with? What are we going to be happy with moving forward in our games? Because I've been asking you this myself. Like I did 500%. Is 100% okay for next year? Because 100% Mm -hmm. next year is what I did this year, technically in the same cash. It's crazy to think that, you know, the compounding factor. And I do like, I want to shout out the like long-term investors. Of course, we always like talk about us being traders and investors, but this is why they long-term investors. Right. We're, we're invaders. And, and that's just this purely because of my five years of options background before I even touched a growth stock. So I, that's just how I'm wired at this point. But those guys are getting that compounding benefit. And, and you know, it makes sense. Right. So let's say those accounts, a lot of people are up one hundred, two, three, four, five hundred percent. Like, if you right. do 50%, you triple your initial account again, right? It's so so for, for
1: for those people, uh, which I think a lot of people that have been listening upon the table and, and everyone, I, I'm not going to say we're, we're the end all be all. Obviously, there's a lot of great folks out there with a lot of information, which has allowed us, you know, as FinTwit community to really grow. And a lot of people, it sounds like at least people that we follow you know, seem to be doing pretty well, right? And so as you take that into consideration now for 2021, do you change your approach now that you do have more going back to that concept, right? right? If you have $1 and it moves to two, it's a lot harder
0: to move from 1 million to 2 million. Yeah. Know, that analogy there. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's so, so true. And, and of course, so much has happened this year, right? Like COVID was the biggest thing that's happened in so, so many years, right? We had an election this year during COVID. And, and now we had Fed completely changing their stance on policies. Like they, they went completely expansionary, right? Like they drop rates to near zero. And I bet you real estate rates are going to keep dropping. Liquidity is up like insane, buying $120 billion a month. You've got congressional stimulus and like, I mean, and that's the thing we're going to talk about in a second with the news that's coming up. You, you don't know how it's going to respond. It's a completely different market. We were talking about this saying the Robin Hooders of the world are the ones who are now like really leading the market. And if you look, I, you, you look at the comparison between what stocks are running, right? everyone probably loves QS. QS was a Robin Hood. QS was a TikTok stock. Everyone was pounding QS when it was KCAC and there was a hundred TikTok videos on it. So like, yeah, everyone on Twitter wants to be the ones who called it, but no, like that is a generational move that moved that. So I think that you're going to have to just see what kind of those things stay for next year, right? We have a vaccine now, 2.8 million Americans you showed me like got vaccinated. So in my mind, that means that COVID is like more or less like dealt with in a lot of the market's perceptions of what's happening in the world. You have a vaccine, you know, that eventually enough people will get inoculated enough. People will be resistant to it that they're... Herd immunity really begins and it stops the spread. And, like, you think that that's going to be a possibility. So, the market's not pricing in COVID negatively the same. You know, the election's already done and out, and we rallied huge from there. So, people aren't really hating Biden at all in office. And now we got to look towards the Georgia elections. And as long as the Fed continues to keep that liquidity pumping, which they say they will, as long as they keep those rates low, which they say they will. And you know that that stimulus package is coming. So, I mean, for me, it's like all steam ahead. It's just, I know we're going to have those 5 or 10% dips on the way. And, and, and no one's going to convince me that we're going to just continue to go straight up. And if we do go parabolic, that's a blow off top and you're going to short that. So with all that being said, I mean, it's been a hell of a year, both good and bad. But once again, as you said, nobody cares about what you did last week. So moving into the first week of 2021, what is on your mind?
1: Georgia, Georgia, Georgia's home my mind. If this podcast thing does not work out, I think uh, I'm try out for America's Idol. America, what is it? America's American Idol. American Idol. American Idol. Georgia is on my mind, though, Tony. We thought 2020 was the death of politics, but we're right back here, front and center. On Tuesday, January 5th, we got this huge runoff election between two incumbent Republican senators, so Purdue and Loeffler against Osop and Warnock. I hope I pronounced all those names correctly, but you know, obviously, we've talked about this a little bit on past episodes. Based off historic trends, the best situation has in the past been to have that split government. However, 2020, nothing makes sense anymore. The virus, we got these injections, the cash, as you mentioned, all these new investors. So not really sure how much history matters or if things do change because of this. So let's just quickly look at both scenarios here. So let's just say in the scenario that Democrats win both seats, each party then on the Senate is 50-50. So that tie-breaking vote then goes to Vice President Kamala, which is that blue wave we've been talking about on the other side, if it is a split election and there is one Republican that does win, you know, hopefully we'll still have that large scale stimulus you were talking about, but you know, some of those more progressive policy change, those tax hikes that people are afraid of with Biden, you know, some of those inherently would be blocked. And in a potential crazy situation, there's still a dozen or so Republican senators really starting to, to challenge Joe Biden's victory when the electoral college's votes are actually calculated on Wednesday. So Tony, do we have more drama coming our way? What are you taking away here with the Georgia elections?
0: Yeah, so, so here's my thoughts on this. Every presidential election, like the last two decades, has been challenged. So, like, this is a whatever. And I feel like, obviously, I mean, obviously the last election was challenged too, and this one's going to be challenged. But I think that Biden's going to be president, and that's that. But I think that in regards to the senator's uh, runoff on January 5th, I have no idea who wins, obviously. Like, both Democrats are right now leading, I believe. And I think that actually... You know, if I'm going to be a little bit like presumptive here, I'm going to th- say that Mitch McConnell blocking the stimulus last week and not even taking it up for a vote was. Definitely not a good timing for the Republicans on that side in Georgia. So I, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you have these Democrats now leading and then you have that, I, I would call it a faux pas by McConnell, just because people obviously want money around this holiday season, and like regardless of the reasons, regardless of whatever's in the bill, I know there's a bunch of crazy things, but regardless, people wanted that cash. So I don't know how people are going to feel about it. And I know that a lot of people think, right, if we get a blue wave, if 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 they get if it's 50-50 and Kamala is a tiebreaker, then the markets are going to crater. And I think that I've been saying that too at some point, but then you know, I really thought about it a little bit there. How much stimulus are we going to get if it's a blue wave? How quick are we going to pass out as much money as we want to the American people like this and that, which I'm not even talking about the long term effects, whatever, like we're talking about like the next year in the markets. And that's that. But I think that that's obviously going to have a positive benefit. Right. Like you put two thousand dollars in a Robinhood traders account. What's he going to do with it? Hopefully, he's not just going to buy Bitcoin, but like, you know, he'll buy other things. And and even if he buys Bitcoin, Bitcoin has been predicting where the market's been going. So I know that people are all really worried about this unemployment right now, too. I mean, like we had 14.9 or you know 15 percent unemployment. That's like like six months ago. And now we have 6.7 percent. Right. And like, as we said, the longer that people stay unemployed, those become discouraged workers. Those are not calculated unemployment statistics. And as much as the system for calculating unemployment is not great, it looks better on data. So over time, that data will normalize, in my opinion, regardless of if the economy really gets better or not. So it's not really the best indicator to look at, but it's regardless what everyone talks about that nonstop. So I'm very bullish going into next year. I think that they're not going to do the capital gains, crazy increases next year. I mean, they may. And if they do, then you'll definitely see the market not liking that. But if they do that, I'd be shocked to see them do that while the economy is still like, you know, reeling from COVID. I mean, I know it's obviously targeted at the more wealthy individuals, but who do you think pays and employs those other individuals who are the ones getting unemployment and stuff, right? Like you raise taxes, less people can work, you have more unemployment. Nobody wants that. So I think the risk is obviously going into 2022 and 2023, because that's going to start lining up with, obviously, if you increase capital gains, the Fed stops buying those bonds every month. They said they're going to start thinking about raising rates at the end of 2022. People will be thinking ahead of that. And you just You know, the soup is is molding. It's coming together. It's cooking in the broth right now, but we just got to see what happens.
1: I think that it will be very interesting to see what happens here this week in the markets, of course. But, you know, we always say hindsight is 2020 could not be more true, both literally and metaphorically, looking at this last year. So, you know, thinking about our tweet, we did not just review all of our pounds ever because we've been pounding way, way too many. But we did want to focus on the stocks that we will be pounding continuously into 2021. So the first thing I just wanted to quickly have you touch on was some of our top performing pounds of 2020. And we classified these as any stock that went 100% or higher
0: since we first
1: initially pounded.
0: Absolutely, Avi. We had so many huge names rally this year. I mean, it's just one of those opportunities where... The small cap growth stocks were loving the low interest rates. They were loving the liquidity and frothiness of the market. I mean, some of these, like force facts, right? Like some of these were companies that would have taken five, 10 years to advance to this level, but COVID gave them that little bump up, right? Like, and I'm just going to give you a shout out, Avi. You are the winner of the pounding the table contest for 2021 between you and I with the biggest pick of the year, Jumia, 740 to 4256. And it was at 49 the other day, but still up a 475% since we pounded on episode five. Get a little so, Asabenya, awesome. yeah, maybe a little uh, circle yeah, of life yeah, well, action here. <laughs> all right, yeah. Here's uh, Toto Africa and then you'll play it right there. And then, but of course, we have a bunch of other names on this list and we had other ones and those were the ones that we were not feeling as confident about moving forward. Of course, whenever a stock goes up multiple hundreds of percent, you want to really think about is that possible in the next year? Is that too much? Is that going to come down a bunch? And, you know, that's not to say that when we have a market crash, these won't be the ones that might get heavily impacted. I believe that they probably will. But, you know, Jumia, Grogue, Magnite, Intelia, TRSSF, Editas, Nanox, Celsius, MP, farfetch SI, CrowdStrike, Biolife Sciences. I mean, those were all up over 100% since we pounded those. And those were all from episode four or five. So, Those have done super, super well for us. I'm holding a lot of these. You know, I can't hold everything, which is why we really try to sift through all the names we pounded because we try to talk about things as the market's moving, right? Like the market's dynamic. It'll pick up on certain places. It'll pick up on different industries and sectors and market cap. But that's why we have so many things that we talk about. And this is why we did that tweet to show you guys what we're still really pounding into the new year because not everything that went up 100% is still a good investment for next year from our opinions. Quick Avi injection. So would you think of these stocks, individual stocks,
1: talking about Similar light as your portfolio. So as these go up, you know, 100% plus, is it the same kind of concept there? Do you not expect them to then also go
0: 100% the next year? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it, it, it's really like if I don't think the stock can double in the next year, I won't own it. But these stocks went up 475%, 352 264%. Can they double again? Yeah, that's possible. Is it the same amount of increase as it was, you know, of the year before? Yeah, it would be that, in, that same dollar amount. But think about what we just said with our own portfolios, right? We don't need the 500 percent. We need 100 percent and we're doing the same as last year, but you know, we want to do more. So we'll do 101 percent, whatever it is. But I think that all these stocks have that potential, which is why we left them on that list. You know We had other ones that went up over 100 percent, but like for instance, we pounded PDD at 88 and that's up over 100 percent. But do I want to own that stock at the like it's like almost 200 billion dollars in market cap? Not really, not for me. It's going to be harder for that to get to 400 than for Celsius is to double my mom literally just sent me a photo of her at the grocery store, and she saw buy one get one free Celsius, and it's like a huge rack in Publix, and no, like weird energy drink company comes down to Key West, so you know that that's real. Um, but that's pretty much how I'm thinking about this. Like, I don't think that these stocks are in any means done in like the next two to five years. It's just how much are they going to run in the next year? Do I think Jumia can go to hundred next year easily? Yeah, like that's why I have it on there because it's 42 now at hundred. That's 150 percent return. It's not 475 percent but it's better than buying Goldman Sachs. Biggie Smalls once said, from ashy to classy, and we kind of
1: went from eating ramen noodles to maybe a little surf and turf here as we sit at the heads of the table. And so these next stocks, funny enough, are also called the heads of the table. So we discussed uh, Mercado Libre, SE Limited, TeleDoc, Fiverr, Square, and Etsy. You put these guys still at the heads of the table. So those are six stocks that we talked about almost every episode to some capacity and you still have them sitting at the heads of the table. So tell us why you think they're still going to be successful here in 2021.
0: Absolutely. I mean, like, so here's, my strategy is different than anyone's strategy and that person's strategy is different than your strategy. So that's the way that this works in the market. And I think that obviously we pounded Mealy. Like I first got into Mealy in 500s, but I mean we, we didn't start the podcast till Jul- since July, right? Like that's when we started it. So we pounded Mealy whenever it was available at that time, which was like nine eighty. And same with SC is like 120 something when we pounded it, but even though I had it from 42. But I think that these names could really continue to grow. I think that each of these companies, Fiverr is a little different, right? Fiverr is just a higher uh, like price stock now, and it's ran a lot. But I think that that one could become a huge beast. And I think Etsy's estimates are way low. I think Square is going to hugely benefit from cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically. I think C Limited is just, you know what we know about C Limited. It's a monster. It's a three-headed dragon Godzilla. And Mercado Libre is literally just getting started. And the lower the dollar goes, the better for Mercado Libre and SC. So I'm definitely still thinking that these stocks are the ones that are not anymore those like glamorous double triples in a year. That's because they were triples this year and quadruples this year. So for me, like Etsy's like 100 billion market cap, Mealy's like almost 100 billion market cap. Fiverr's very cheap market cap. It was only six when we were like talking about it, five or six. And so I think that you know stuff like that has way bigger potential to double and triple. Like Etsy specifically is absurd. The 13% estimate for next year. They did 137% for two quarters, the last two quarters. So it's not going to be 13%. I don't care about you, mass theorists. You're wrong. But that, I think that's why we have them as heads of the table. I mean, those things, I don't see a reason why those names aren't going to be huge. I don't see why Mealy and SC and TDoc can't become 500 billion and Square as well, 500 billion or trillion dollar companies in five to 10 years. They're just going to be like the new apples in your portfolio. as And that's what I think is supposed to be, right? Like, there's this guy on Twitter, his name's from growth to value. And I love that concept, right? Like these stocks went from growth and now they're value. Mealy's trading at like like 11 times next year's sales. That's not growth, that's value.
1: Mercado Libre, this is one that you kicked out of the last dinner party. Uh, you were crying about it, you were sad, you
0: had to say goodbyes. Sounds like uh, fair to say that you're bringing this back in 2021? Yeah, so, so here's the thing for me, and I think everyone's different, and we have different goals. I love Mealy, I love C, I love Teladoc, I love Fiverr, Square, and I love Etsy. But you guys know my rules about market caps I go for growth, I go for the 100% a year return. And I think that it might be a little harder for these to get to 100% return. I think I can have a lot of other ones that I have much more um, conviction that they will get to 100% return and obviously not the same as conviction and how good the company is. It's a very different thing I'm talking about. But, you know, I think stuff like TDoc is like TDoc is a silly valuation should be 400 like Fiverr is not even that big of a market cap. That one can double and triple easily. So I have a lot of Fiverr um, and I have T-Doc and I have SE. I just don't have huge positions in them. I'm, it's mostly like leaps and options at this point for them. I don't want to allocate a ton of cash to them, but I know that they're going to continue to increase in my opinion. So I do want to get that upside. And, and I did sell them like the last two weeks because I was feeling that the growth market was getting frothy. I'm talking about like Nespresso milk machine frothy, and I did not want to be in there for that long. And I just used that money for SPACs. and like yeah, Spax took a hit, but before they took a hit, you know, I made fifty percent on a lot of them, and all these other names, they're right like to where I sold them, if not lower. So I, it's like I didn't really miss on anything, and I know that nothing goes straight up, whether you're in the growth or the SPACs. But I'm looking for that fifty hundred percent return. I think that Mealy SCT doc. Fiverr's different. Fiverr's a lower market cap, but I put it at the head of the table because I, I see it becoming that gig economy Amazon online. And you know Etsy, too, I think Etsy's in there because it's a beast company and it, people don't realize what it's worth. And they will, they will see what it's worth, mark my words. And I've already you know shown that it's gone up 100% since everyone sold because of the mass theory. So that's why they're at the head of the table. I mean, I have dinner with them any day. I just don't know how long I'm staying <laughs> or if I'm going there for dessert. <laughs> I love that. Uh, e commerce, obviously front and center of 2020.
1: That was kind of the story. Many of those we just discussed, right? Fiverr, Etsy, even FC is, you know, considered e-commerce there. But, you know, those guys are like the big wigs at the table. Now, there's some other guys that are maybe eating some mac and cheese at the kids' table. Yep. So, Jumia and, and Farfetch, you mentioned. Is this the year those guys,
0: you know, maybe add a little lobster to the mac and cheese, start to make their way yeah. to the big kids' yep. table? Yeah. So, And we talked about this, right? Like when people believe in a company, that company stock goes up and that stock goes up, the company has more money. The company can make more moves. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like people create companies and it's not always just the guy who made the idea. So like, right, like Jumia had a lot of people on FinTwit love it now and turn into big believers, right? So you saw it go from 17 to almost 50 back to the IPO. So I think Jumia has the potential to continue going. I just want to see that they did something with the increase in that stock price. Like, it makes no sense for me that they're not doing a raise right now. They need to do a raise, and if they if they don't do a secondary offering, I think that they're dumb, and they really need to do a secondary offering. Like if it was me, I would have done one at forty eight. I done it right at the IPO price it opened at, and then you double pound that you think it's worth that people buy into it, and then you believe, and people more people believe, and that stock will actually run the way it's supposed to because that cash inflow will not only a like let it have that growth without having to worry about the revenues and profitability going down, which is all they did last quarter. That's all they did. They slowed rev down so they can increase margins and profitability to get it on people's radar so they don't hate it because it's like an unprofitable decreasing GMV business, which makes sense. And I think Farfetch is great because Farfetch is just like – it's a very niche marketplace and they're executing magnificently. I mean, you saw Tencent take a big stake. You saw, uh, what was it, Alibaba or JD took a big stake in them as well. And I think like, regardless, like when you have big players like that and they're moving into China, they added video components of luxury. They're buying other companies that are the hype beasts. Like if you don't know what Off-White is, then you don't know. But like you should know what Off-White is if you're buying these like hype beast luxury companies, right? And they own the parent company for that now. And who's to say what else they're going to buy? Who's to say how much more they're going to be involved in the luxury market? What if they start creating their own stuff, like far fetched collab with the companies they buy? Like, that's, I mean, the world is their oyster, and that's a huge market, right? Like, and it's huge because of verification purposes. They get it sourced. It's not like, someone's giving them like a fake crappy bag that could be not real. This is a secondary market for something that has no secondary market. It's like equities end with private company. This is a very niche company and it's not going anywhere done. And also, if you look at the accumulation of it, since we pounded it at 27, straight up to like 64, people bought that. And it wasn't your mom and pop. Like people bought that. Like big funds bought that. Like that's going to show up in a lot of those people's 13F filings, without a question.
1: Everyone listens to the podcast, does stocks. Everyone wants to get very wealthy, right? But as that old saying goes... Health is wealth, right? And it can't be even more true when you get a double pound talking about genomics. So there's got to be a reason Kathy bought genomics into her arc. Noah was slacking. Why do you
0: like genomics? Let's hear it. I think there's only one industry right now that I can see that if you think about valuation, you are – I like don't have a word. It's not a nice one because like this is not one of those markets where anything matters at all versus what it can do, right? Like think about this and I'll tell you something personal. I was sitting there the other day being like, wow, like made a lot of money in 2020. That's fantastic. But then you think about what actually freaking matters in this world and it's like, it's not gonna shave life off my parents' years and like make them live longer. It's not gonna make me healthier, make my kids healthier, really. Like, but this can, right? And there's and I'm like, what's the value of my bank account? I don't give a shit. Let it go to zero if I can make that better. So there's no price you can put on health. There's no price you can put on it whatsoever. So if you're looking at valuation for genomics companies, you don't understand the market or the opportunity. So we talk about this a lot because this is the only sector I could ever say that if you don't if you don't understand it from like a futuristic where are we going point of view, then like that's not the market for you It has nothing to do with the numbers like they can sell nothing and if they can change the world in one little way like that it's worth everything so that's why we pound the table on rg so much right like rg just to make it easy for you guys we don't like specifically pound rg but we pound everything in it so we thought we would just say right like rg if you want to own the genomic sector without having to worry about which ones ran too much or which ones are not really the best in the industry right Kathy knows, right? Kathy bought 15% of a ton of genomics companies before they were hot. Like whether or not people will admit it, she brought that to mainstream and she's creating the potential for us to literally live longer and for our babies to not be sick when they're born. Like there's nothing more valuable than that. So we will pound the table on G forever. We'll pound the table on BLFS forever. It's the picks and shovels to all these companies, right? They work with CRISPR, which I've pounded the table on since 48 and will not stop editas same i mean like they're getting fda fast track approved for a bunch of things ntla just got a nobel prize in chemistry nvta is crushing like all those names we're going to continue to pound and i think i will never ever ever question the valuation of them because i don't you can't put a you can't put a price on it and i'm like freaking out right now because (laughs) it's just i can't argue with anyone who's going to say they're not making enough money and that's what a lot of people are saying they're like you know they're they're not profitable who gives a shit if you can change your life and like live 20 30 years what would you pay? And if the answer is not everything then Prices, You're wrong.
1: Crisis. We got to get Kathy on the show too, by the way. Medtech and healthcare. That's another area, obviously, I was super excited about. I sent you that book, Physics of the Future. Some of these ideas actually stem from that book, just thinking kind of the art of the possible. And so some of the ones that we've been discussing, OM, so that's Outset Medical, Nanox, LGBW, OnTrack, that's ticker symbol OTRK, ISRG, and PGNY. You still pound all these for 2021.
0: What do you like about these ones specifically? I think this just goes along with the health is wealth narrative that I think, you know, people have, you know, if you're in the markets, like you, you, you probably have money after this year, because like most people did super, super well. And I think that a lot of people will just start thinking like, hey, like, they'll think like this, like, like what I was thinking, what does it matter if you can't have the health and wealth and you already see. That there's those trends of like healthier living and healthier eating and like smoking is not good for you anymore. And like, you know, all those things are happening and they're happening at a really fast pace. Right. You see the valuations of beyond and, you know, Tattoo Chef is getting up there now. It's starting to rally a lot. So people want this and this is not going away. Like, tell me how many people you hear going to like spin and Pilates classes and all that. Like, that's the thing. That's not going to go away health Mm -hmm. is wealth. So I think Outset Medical, right, that deals with one of the biggest tax burdens and the biggest issues for all medical, you know, anything is diabetes, right? And that is a huge solution to that. Nanox, you know what we think. LGVW, spade is a spade to Nanox. No reason both can't coexist. In fact, they work better together, in my opinion. OnTrack, I think is just a similar thing to where it's valued incorrectly. should be way higher. I mean, I think that this company is going to be doing what, like $736 million in revenue with profits in 2024. It's not even true. At the right multiple in the slightest, so that one. I, and I love the fact that they focus on the things that cause bad health. Like they ca- they focus on the behavioral attributes that contribute to you having bad health habits that cause you money and cause issues in your life in the future. So it's like, we love the LVGO was not about fixing you. It was about being preventative and helping you deal with it. And that's the same thing with on track here. So I like that. Like it has a stretchy spade to a spade, but I made the comparison with it to LVGO a while ago. And I'll kind of stick with that in a different sense. ISRG. I mean, this is like, you know, a smarter trader, a million or trillion dollar company, no brainer. I I agree. Mm -hmm. Right. Like people are saying that Johnson and Johnson are going to come and rival them. no, like ISRG's leagues and leagues in there, but
1: yeah, ISRG's a fire. Yeah.
0: I mean like Medtronic, I mean like it, it, once again, right. Like not everybody is going to get serviced by the same machine. Like we have almost 8 billion people on this planet. It's okay to have a couple different companies, right? You think Tesla slowed down because of all this new EVs hitting the market? No, Tesla's at an all time high. It doesn't matter. Progeny, for example, like You know, fertility is a huge issue with people, right? And the more we inject things into our body, the more that we like eat certain things and the more that we live our lives around technology and the effects on that, like, you know, for whatever, for sperm count, for, you know, fertility, like that's going to be a huge thing moving forward. And that's, I don't, I think that's going to get worse over time, unfortunately. Hopefully, hopefully CRISPR, you know, and and the whole, that squad can fix it. But once again, in the meantime, there's going to be those inefficiencies that are going to be swept up by progeny and progeny is a stupid Valuation. People don't. Understand I, I love that one. I mean, honestly,
1: I know you're, a lot of your friends probably don't have kids, but a lot of my friends have had trouble, you know. And so that one specifically to what you were just saying before, whether it's technology, cell phones near your private parts, whatever it is, something's happening where kids are having, you know, they're, It's it's much harder to have a child right now. So that one could be fucking massive. Uh, on track. Got to give another shout out to Joey Selich. I actually love this. Potential here. He's talking about how T-Dot could acquire on track for some of the mental health. Oh, that I didn't, even know, was- oh, yeah, I didn't even know that Joey. Oh yeah. I tweeted that just earlier. Today. Oh wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well when Joey's pounding, I'm double pounding. So I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in from 46. First time I heard about the stock, but you know, I, I, I agree with him. I think that they need that behavioral health. Like, that preemptive I mean if, if you think about what they, they bought LVGO for the preventative yeah. reasons right because like you get preventative costs out there right they're cheaper than the actual dealing with the people having diabetes or dealing with the person having this whatever other issue it can be and if OnTrack does the same thing which it does and it's like literally a, it's going to be a very very good business like look at the See, S- it's going to be people. like
1: Amazon start as a bookstore they're going to start with their, their core company and I think they could maybe right. they could like that idea of them just buying a bunch of these med tech companies that could be real cool. great right.
0: and, 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 and I mean if they're Going to buy something that was like almost like more than half of their v- value when they did that LVGO merger. I mean, they are not going to stop buying company. They're going to buy more companies. And it's just a matter of when the market realizes that this is going to be like one shop stop for doctor for medical anything. I mean, like that, that to me is the benefit of T Dog. And right, they have that LVGO. We talked about the fact that there's only a 25% overlap in their customers. So you're going to see all that matric- like attriculation come and it's going to be huge. Like it's going to be a very, very big increase recent number for them and not even to mention the fact that like that reduces the doctor visits that reduces the cost of like medical insurers and every medical insurer is including some type of e-health like behavioral health it's it's a thing and it's not going away
1: and best of all tony it's helping us as humans progress and get better so i obviously love med tech i love genomics software that's my space you know i have a lot of friends in this space a lot of these higher growth companies you know i've heard from other sellers uh, out there in the space that it is troublesome you know some of these higher growth companies however you know the crms the microsofts all the fang stocks those things you know are, are should be still doing well but i know we've kind of discussed there could be a little decline of some of these hyper growth software companies You had mentioned a few though. So Net, CrowdStrike, Datadog, and Twilio. You said those ones are still going to continue to grow.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that I was looking at, I was looking at a chart or something and it said that there was a nine times multiple like earlier this year. And now there's like a 31 times average software multiple, which is high, right? Like mean reversion happens. It's a thing, but who knows how fast they grow into those multiples. So it's not a question of like, am I bearish? It's a question of what looks like it's the best value assuming either that the valuation multiple comes down or that they grow into their valuations, which would benefit the ones that are already not crazy valued. Right. So that to me is net net is just a freaking monster. Like there's a reason we sold out fastly for net and I will pound that continued, right? Like who cares if fastly goes to 200, 300, like net has gone from 22 to 85. So I'm okay with that here. And it's not going to stop. I think it's going to continue. Crowdstrike. We mentioned this, this was your thesis pick. And I agree with you because I really am not a huge software guy these days. I I was in March, right? Like I rode crowd when I added a 38 or whatever and all that was happening. It was fun, but the valuations did get stretched. And I'm not one of those guys who likes to stay in where the, you know, the rubber band stretch is going to pull back and hit you in the face if, if it does, if it doesn't, then, you know, good for you. But there's a chance that that happens. And there's a much smaller chance, in my opinion, that it happens with the net, the crowd strike, the data dog, the Twilio's. Those are the four that we talked about. And like we pounded net, we pounded data dog, we pounded crowd, all huge winners. I wanted to throw a Twilio in there because I think that out of all the ones that are really high valued, right, like. These are the ones that I don't think of them being very, very high valued. And they have like significant revenue that they can build a base off of. And that's what I like to look for when valuations are stretched. Like it's always a comparison between the sector. Like like you can mention like ServiceNow, fantastic company. I love it. Is it overvalued? No, I think that that's going to be just a steady grinder. But something like Coop, like C-O-U-P, Coopera software went absolutely parabolic. Like, like I think it's a high valuation now and I'm just not throwing my eggs in that basket. Something you were about to throw your eggs in basket uh, was
1: with real estate earlier this summer. You were talking about Rochester, New York, literally months ago, right? And we knew that you were a radiologist since we started the show. You became <laughs> a, a pilot. You were an epidemiologist. Now you're a real estate agent. What's going on, Tony? You you mentioned Fathom and Redfin is two that you, you continue to love here in 2021.
0: Right. I just do my research. Like I'm not any of these things. I'm just a stock guy who likes to just buy and sell things, but I like to invest in ideas and trends. Like that's the fun part for me. It's not really about like scalping that profit here and there. It's about like being part of that movement. And for me, I think that obviously you saw that there was a huge drop in the premium, premium values of residential and commercial real estate, especially like in New York and San Francisco and bigly valued areas with high valuations and, you know, People were moving out of those like big city centers because of COVID, and we were pounding the table really, really hard on city centers like SPG will become right. And I know that you hated that, but we've already established that that's going to be fine. And then also, of course, the residential suburban real estate like that is like one of the biggest rallies of this year, and it's because those rates were so low, because of that like liquidity was everywhere, because the money was pumping, and I think that those rates for real estate will continue to get lower and lower, right? So. I'm going to continue to pound the table on Fathom. I'll continue to pound the table on Redfin. I know we were talking about Expi like you know five, 10 episodes ago, and that one for me like I wrote a lot of it, but I prefer Fathom's valuation here because I think it's very similar to Expi, but I think it's way cheaper valued. And people were like, oh, I don't really want to buy Fathom. It's not growing so much, and then it went seventy four percent revenue, and it's trading at it was like one point five times sales, so no brainer for me there. And obviously, mean, there's a third. Of course, we already pounded this one back at eleven. It went up to almost I think over thirty, and now it's come down a little bit. We're going to do some research and repound it for you guys next week. All right,
1: Tony, let's switch over to Bitcoin real quick. That is sitting at 32000 000- I think you called this run up at around 10,000 or so this summer. ETH, another one you were pounding. And of course, we got SI. That was our picks and shovels pick back a few episodes ago. Where do you think this is going? I know you mentioned at one point BTC to 50,000 earlier in the year. Is that going to happen? Or do you see some more turmoil, maybe some whales, you know, dropping the ball here quick and manipulation going on?
0: Yeah, I think nothing goes straight up, but it's going to be one or two situations. You're going to get these big rallies and these big drops where people are just like scalping and manipulating the markets until it gets so big. That- they can't do that, right? So the more Bitcoin gets bigger and bigger, like the less that that manipulation is going to be happening. So you're going to get less instead of those like 85% drawdowns, you'll get those like 10, 20, 30% drawdowns. So over time, you know, the more money in it, the more money holding it, the less risky the asset's going to become. But specifically Ethereum, I was really pounding the table on that over Bitcoin and I still am. And, you know, I mean, maybe a bias. Like I bought Ethereum at 68. So like, I love Ethereum moving forward. I think that the fact that you can literally use Ethereum in so many applicable ways, like we mentioned on that episode, we talked about crypto is like, of course, I think that that's why it's undervalued. I also think that, you know, of course, the fact that there's increase in the supply of Ethereum every year, but once again, as they both get bigger, that increase in coins is going to become less and less percentage of the total coins out there. So naturally that's going to slow as well. So I'm a big fan of Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think they're very different reasons, very different purposes. I'm not buying Bitcoin because I think that you and I are going to be completely solely like making money and moving money through Bitcoin. But I think that Ethereum has like a lot of those like potential applications that are already starting to be used, right? Like that's going to be, that's going to be a huge thing. I think it's going to underpin a ton of the economy. And I think SI of course is going to benefit from this as Ether is going to go up. So yeah, gun to my head, I said, Bitcoin 50k. Once again, nothing goes straight up, but it could always just get that parabolic move. Who knows? Like you saw it happen in 2017. If you think it's not possible again, I think you're wrong. And I think that if you're sure it happens again, you're wrong too. So I have no idea what's going to happen It's a very, very peculiar market to say the least, but I think I, I mean, I pretty much have most of my Ethereum as like my main, you know, crypto holding. And I don't have too much Bitcoin. I mean, that's okay with me. Like, I actually just believe in Ethereum more. We got a lot of Link though, don't we, (laughs) Tony? Yeah, we have a lot of Link. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's way more Ethereum now, but we'll
1: see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We're making that joke because I sold some uh, Bitcoin earlier for Link, but... We're never wrong. We're just not right yet, Tony. So uh, (laughs) let's hold that link and see what happens. Last but certainly not least, we have... I got to clear my throat here. And last but certainly not least, we have the... Mini Monsters! Those (laughs) certainly seem to be a fan favorite, and thank you for that fake laugh to make me not feel like a total psycho. But some of the Mini Monsters you had mentioned, EHDM, so Desktop Metals, that was one we were pounding back at TRNE days. Uh, That one certainly dug a hole, but uh, we're still pounding that one here. We got ticker symbol 4, so F-O-U-R, Steady Grinder. We got Futu, Dada. My favorite, skills. And then last but certainly not least, we got MP. So these mini monsters, I know we had lot more of them. And you chose these ones to be the
0: continued mini monsters. So what do you think about these? Right. Yeah. I mean, we made the mini monster section because everyone was starting to pound these small cap names going into December. And you know that that's a very, very common trend in the markets, right? Like it's small cap December and it started in November, right? And like the SPACs were really driving it. And then it got into all the names and we had so many different names that we were trading and we were talking about, yes, this one's a trade. This one's a long-term investment, how we're feeling about it. But I think the dust has settled. I've been able to look at all. The names that we talked about and in my opinion right like I think EH has the potential to be a really big company. I think DM is in a very, very good spot because there's not many things like it at all. And it's definitely really making an impression on a lot of investors, even though it did go down from where it was at the high, right? Like it's still up over 50% since when we pounded it. So I'm not upset at all. I'm still holding that one long term. For one that we really don't talk about because I just like have it sitting in my portfolio, going up a few percent every month or so. It's just like I, I really like think the company is one of those steady grinders that I love to have part of in my portfolio. Just because you know, like if everything's not working out in the small caps or everything's not working out in the big, big growth, like you have those steady grinders like BLFS, which will just you know carry you forward a little bit. FUTU, I think, is one of the most underappreciated, undervalued stocks out there. I think a lot of people will take that. Um, I take a bigger look at it in the the coming year, especially with China. People, I think, are going to be buying those China stocks instead of selling them next year. Usually when you get that everyone's feeling very, very bearish about everything situation, I think that you're going to get a really good rally in the China stocks. And you've seen that like Pinduoduo has been chugging. Like that thing went ballistic in the last two months. And I think that there's going to be more names that do that. Um, And then you got Dada, of course. Like that's something that I think needs time to marinate. But once again, it's getting held down because it's China... And I think that that's only a matter of time until that doesn't work out. I think Alibaba marked the bottom on China names, in my opinion. Skills, you know how we feel about this one. This thing is just not even started. I saw a tweet today that's like people have won 2.5 billion dollars on skills. Very insane. Like you're not going to not look at that and think what else are they going to do? They're just kind of tapping into those markets and they're getting good margins off of it. No brainer for me. And MP is the picks and shovels to so literally almost everything we talk about. With the fact that you need rare earth metals to do anything in this day and age, it's not about lumber anymore. And once again. I'm still going to pound the table that lumber is going to be one of the best shorts ever from that high, which I, I posted on Twitter. Um, and I know nothing about commodities, but I know that. Uh, You're a lumberjack now, Tony. Yeah, yeah. we were talking about that just a minute ago. <laughs> no, that's, I,
1: I, I love skills. I still think people do not understand it. At least my vision for it is being the full platform. Right. It's got that, that draft kings. I'm betting you the dollar, right? So it's not, they don't need to be on the, the hook for the bank. And developers are just building out games directly for skills. Why not build a game that people can then bet on, right? This is going to be, I I love skills. All right. Actually, the last one now, Uh, we can't finish the episode without talking about SPACs. We are not a SPAC show. We are a stock show. But lately, again, we have been talking about these quite a bit. So obviously too long of a list here to go through all of them. Uh, But if you guys haven't checked it out on our Twitter, we do have the full list. We're also going to be sending out a a kind of a newsletter with a more of a deeper dive into some of these as well. Um, So if you guys haven't signed up yet, go to poundingthetablepodcast.com. Hit that join, that contact us button, but... Tony, talk to, you, you know, a few of these here. Obviously, can't go through all of them, but pick a few of your favorites.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just want to just start it by saying that these facts I still think, are going to be a great opportunity in the coming year. And especially because, you know, a lot of these growth names have gone parabolic. And I, and I, and I posted this on my Twitter, like, five, six times, like, trying to tell people, trying to make them realize that, like, nothing goes straight up, right? People were saying TTD to 1,000. And I realized everyone was saying TTD to 1,000. So there's no way TTD was going to go to 1,000 that week. Like, that's how that works. And everyone and their mother is buying all these growth names. Like, oh, let's buy Square. Let's buy Etsy. All these things are just going parabolic. And it's just like, okay, I've got FOMO and names that I sold last week for multiple 100% gains. This is like getting toppy. So that's why you got that selling all those names. And that's why I sold those names. And I think the best part about it is that that money just goes right back into these SPACs for me. And so these are not SPACs that we're pounding the table on because we know which companies they are. Right, like we're keeping the ones such as like BFT. We we love that one. We pounded that one, we're gonna continue to hold that one. BTWN, if it goes through with Tokopedia, we're gonna continue to pound that one. Stuff like that that we like. Obviously, skills was a SPAC, DM was a SPAC, MP was a SPAC. So we're continuing to pound. The best of the best that come out of it, right? Like, it's like Easter, right? You open an Easter egg and you don't know what chocolate you're going to get. If you like the chocolate, you keep it. If you don't, you throw it at Avi and you make him eat it. But (laughs) besides the point of that, I I I was thinking like the scratch off lottery (laughs) tickets or something. Yeah, it it really is, right? Like, I just like, I like chocolate, but whatever. Um, I mean, just looking at all these names, right? I think PSTH, I have no idea what it's going to be, but Ackman's behind it and Ackman's up 70% on the year. So he was crushing it. So I think whatever he takes public is going to be a beast, especially knowing these bigger IPOs like Airbnb. And DoorDash and whatever what have you those have gone up insane no matter the valuation so whatever psch merges into i think it's going to be a really big one but it's also trading at a premium because people i think know this and options are open on it now so i started loading some of the february 30s and looking to get some more of those further out um you know we have a lot of other names on here that haven't even announced a date like i, I love Srack, right srak is going to be momentous the space company it's like a pick and shovels to spacex which to me is a no-brainer because if I had to pick another industry besides genomics, it's going to be space. So keep those all on your watch list. You know, that's going to be where that growth is going to be, in my opinion, in the next few years.
1: What do you think about like Jamis, though? Like the, the
0: rest of them, he's got the iPod and iPoF. I believe it's how you pronounce. Yeah, it goes all the way IPOA to IPOZ eventually. But I, I, w- I, you don't bet against the guy who's hitting it out of the park, right? It's like trying to short a beast company. So when he starts screwing up, then you can short his stuff if he ever starts screwing up, right? Like he's crushing it. So I think the people who are like, I don't really like it because of what happened with DM. I think that was a one-off, right? Like you're not happy how well IPOC did. You're not happy how well Space did. You're not happy how well Open Door did. So like you're going to have to give yourself some perception here of thinking like what's going to really happen to the next three. So he's three for three. You want to bet against a three for three guy, like unless you're the Warriors, you're not it's going a to Hall play. of Famer if you're a baseball player. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. you yeah. get One strikeout, you know, you're not, been, you're not done. You're, Roberto Clemente is still a Hall of Famer. It's easy to be great if you follow greatness. So don't mess around. Like I, I think that any of these names who have people who are great, right? Like we pound DGNR, we pound CMLF, we pound like XPOA, you know, FMAC. All these names are guys who are beasts and the entire list is all those names of of guys who are, you know, absolutely incredible, who I think you'd be dumb to not think that those guys can do a better job of picking a company than you because they've already picked companies and they were the companies that were Google and square and Uber and all these successful companies. So they know what they're doing. I think that it's smart to, you know, at least look into what they're doing and to consider maybe, you know, like you've got that $10 floor, you can redeem it for $10 plus interest. Like what's the worst that can happen. If you're buying a SPAC at like 12 or 11 that hasn't had any news yet, you're going to get like a 10 to 15% loss max on your position. Right. Whereas if you buy a TTD at 970, you're already down 30%. So that's the risk reward I like to think about here. You know, we crushed the other names. Why don't you think about some new names? Market's dynamic. You better be able to flow like water. All right,
1: Tony, that was actually a storybook. You have no notes in front of you. This was a kind of a more of a free-flowing <laughs> episode. So it sounded like a movie that ending, so I, I hate to jump in here. But, you know, I just want to wrap this up. I know we've talked about this for several weeks, but... It is 2021 now. We've been talking about this for several, several weeks. Each week, we're like, wait until next week, we're going to be launching this and that. It's finally here. It's 2021, baby. And so we're going to be launching some merchandise that's already underway. We're playing around with a few things. We got this newsletter underway and a few more things that we'll be announcing here in the next week that we're super, super excited about. So Tony, as always, just wrap it up with some kind words.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if you had a good time in 2020, make sure you can live to trade another year, another day. You have no idea what's going to happen in 2021. I wish I knew the future, but I just try to predict it and no one really knows what's going to happen. And so keep that cash ready in case you get that dip, because I know there will be some in 2021. Anyone who says we're not going to have a dip in 2021, I would bet them anything against it. So prepare yourself. And I think that there's going to be so many great opportunities in the market up and down that you're going to have to just be ready to take advantage of. And I think that if you are comfortable with your year and you're like, I did two, three, whatever, 100%, I know a bunch of people crush it and like a lot of people did better than me. And so I think that that's the kind of situation where you wonder, what are my goals? What are my risks? What am I really gonna do in this next year that's gonna make the difference, right? Like if I lose half my account after crushing it, I'm going to be a lot more pissed than just making like a say 50, 100% or whatever. And it's crazy saying that now, right? And I know it's like absurd to say, but like who knows? Like I think that this market's still going to go full steam ahead with a couple dips. Um, so I'm looking for those opportunities, but I promise like I'm going to do my best and not give back those games and encourage everyone to make sure they don't lie to themselves and really think about what you want out of 2021 because there's no reason it can't be your year. It's going to be a lot of people's years. So it might as well be yours. And with that being said, Pounders, Don't make it just your day. Don't make it your week. Make it your year. Make it your 2021, and we'll be there with you along the way. Have a good trading week, guys. Hell yeah, dude! I feel good for this year.
1: Drip on a hundred, bitch. Say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's.